0: Hello, and welcome to the Queer Discourse with Lou Barrett podcast. It's me, Lou Barrett. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning into the first episode of Queer Discourse with Lou Barrett. It's me, Lou Barrett. (laughs) A little bit about me, I am non-binary, I use they-them pronouns, I'm a writer, I own a publishing company, Purpled Palm Press, which you will hear more about as this series progresses. I decided to make this podcast a little over a year ago now, and I'm excited that I am making it happen. In this podcast, I will sit down with another queer person and we will discuss a book that's written by another queer person. In some circumstances, I may choose to talk about a book that is not by a queer person. I'll do that if there's a particular book I really wanna talk about from a quote unquote queer lens. I wanted to make this show because for the last couple years, I have really started to loathe call-out culture and cancel culture. Um, the reason being is that I don't think it is effective. If you have gotten someone to reconsider their worldview and perspective and change their opinion on something major by yelling at them and making them trying to make them feel ashamed for how they view something, I would love to hear about it. <laughs> um, you can email that to me, that story to me at queerdiscourse at gmail.com. In my own experience, I have not seen that ever be effective. And I would say I stopped using that as a method to try to get people to understand my point of view a couple years ago now. I still see it as one of the main ways people try to change other people's opinions and i just don't really think it works i think this kind of method has hurt the movement in some ways um when i say the movement i'm talking specifically here about things related to queer rights not everything that people call each other out about is this kind of obvious right or wrong situation. Many of the things I see people call each other out about are things that are much more nuanced and don't really have a right or wrong answer. However, we've begun to treat things like they have a right or wrong answer. And I think that supports an assimilation. It supports this idea that all queer people are one way or should be one way. And it seems counterintuitive to the point. (laughs) What is the point? The point is for us to have the same rights, for us to be treated fairly, for us to not fear for our lives when we're walking down the street. I think the progression of call out culture and cancel culture has led to more infighting, um, which unfortunately we all know is nothing new. I also have issues with a lot of the people I've seen be called out, or I guess I have a lot of mixed feelings and I wanna challenge that. I have seen Cardi B be called out, RuPaul be called out, Buck Angel be called out. And I don't think in any of these situations, these people got that close to being quote unquote canceled. I'm not entirely sure, but part of the issue I had was that because of racism and homophobia and misogyny, there's something about calling out people who are black, gay, trans, that is easier somehow for people. And unfortunately, for them, if they are to be quote unquote canceled, it's much harder for them to get their lives and careers back. Whereas we've seen with different white actors, white male actors, people like Louis C.K., Kevin Spacey, Jeffrey Tambor, their lives haven't been completely shattered forever. Why? Because they have a lot of privilege and they have the ability to get back into public sphere and to gain forgiveness. However, people who are black, trans, queer women are less likely to be able to get back to the public sphere and to working again if they are quote unquote canceled. So my issue is that I think that we are just hurting each other, like white men, White straight men, these powerful people who have the ability to really hurt others if they choose to and have and have gotten caught, they can be fine. I've seen it in my own community. I've seen the ways that some black and queer people are consistently called out and sometimes banned from different venues And then I've seen white male comedians in the area who are fine. (laughs) They're fine. So, so the point I'm trying to make with all of this is just to try to challenge the idea that cancel culture and call out culture, that these methods for changing people's minds is effective because I do not think they're effective. I wish I had the perfect solution for what is effective. I'm still trying to figure that out myself. I think practicing empathy and trying to give some kind of buy-in for the person you're trying to convince is one way that could potentially help change someone's mind. Is that obnoxious? Yeah, of course, of course, it is obnoxious to try to empathize with someone who is being misogynistic, or sexist, or racist, or homophobic. I think it's on white people to do that work with other with white racists. And in my experience, I have tried to do that work with homophobic people, regardless of the fact that I myself am queer. I want to emphasize that I do not think this is easy. However, I think it is more effective than using shame and condescension and just general meanness to try to get someone to understand your point of view. So I bring all of this up to help kind of create the tone for queer discourse with Lou Barrett me for the show because I want the show to be a place where people can have a difference of opinion. And it doesn't mean that one is automatically right or wrong or one person is better and one is worse or someone is good and someone else is bad. I think another negative effect call out culture and cancel culture has had is that it kind of limits critical thinking I think that morally, of course, it is unethical to discriminate against others, to show and demonstrate a prejudice against other people who are different from yourself. I am not questioning that at all. (laughs) What I am questioning is the means of which we go to try to get people to change and to stop discriminating or stop showing their prejudice against others. Today on the show, I am talking with a good friend of mine, Elizabeth Harris. She is a bi princess from Pittsburgh. That's actually the name of a song I wrote for her a few years ago. She is a musician and a music therapist. She makes music under the moniker Fig. You can find out more about her music at fignewtunes on Instagram. You can also check out her new single, Pomegranate, on Spotify. Today, we're talking about Pleasure Activism by Adrienne Marie Brown. I have been a fan of Adrienne Marie Brown's for a few years now, although this is the first book of hers I've read. I have followed her blog. I really like what she says about call-out culture and her ideas for how we can progress the movement without hurting each other. I was excited to talk about this book with Elizabeth because we both have such different pleasure backgrounds and histories, but we are both on pleasure journeys that have in some ways mirrored each other while our experiences are so different. So it was cool to see the similarities and overlap that we have even through our differences. This is a two-part episode. I decided after reading the book that I wanted to talk to someone else about it as well, and I will be having a doula on a future episode named Asia map. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy today's episode. This is the first ever podcast I'm recording. Thank you listeners for being here.
1: It's incredible. I'm so excited to be here for the first one.
0: I'm excited too. I just want everyone to know that we're aware that there a pandemic is happening this is not a podcast about the pandemic so i just don't know that we'll really talk about it that much when talking about the book but i want the podcast to be grounded in reality all right so our guest today is elizabeth harris why don't you say a little bit about
1: yourself so hello i'm elizabeth harris (laughs) and I also perform under the moniker FIG, and I'm a music therapist and music instructor and musical performer in Cleveland, Ohio. And yeah, I like reading a lot. I like learning new things. I like um, self-help and growth, and that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this book with you.
0: That's a great intro. Yeah, I knew I would have you on because you're my friend, But also, (laughs) I wanted to have you on because you're one of the friends of mine who reads a lot, like I do. So it was like, it's a must have, you know? I want to bring attention to, it's interesting to think about how you're still performing. Like, I feel like I'm performing, but I'm doing that intentionally, so it's more interesting to listen to, you know? But it's like, I can look however I want to look, because it's just you and I. Just voice acting. Yes, yes so uh today we're going to be talking about pleasure activism and pleasure activism is by adrienne marie brown uh she also wrote emergent strategy which i did not read but you read right elizabeth yes yeah
1: (laughs) you have it ready i got them both right here perfect perfect
0: yeah pleasure activism it's a beautiful book the cover is really good And what I think is funny is that I didn't notice until I was halfway through that all the animals are having sex, which is like, obviously a part of the (laughs) cover. but I just went, oh, nice colors, lots of different colors, cool. And then I kept
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're just like doing it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um... I think it'd be cool to start with, she talks about pleasure routines in the beginning. That's one of the first, I think one of the first things she talks about in the few, you know, first like 100 pages. And I wanted to know what you thought about that. And if you've thought about developing a pleasure routine since reading this.
1: That's a great question. I have been trying to, more and more, I realize how important treating my body with pleasure is. Mostly because when you think about it, like, the bottom row of Maslow's hierarchy of needs includes sexual needs. Oh, wow. I don't know. I'm surprised I've never thought about
0: that. I think it's because I've seen it in an education context a lot. And we're not talking about that part when I was, like, teaching to grade school mm-hmm. kids. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So I'm thinking about this and I'm like, okay, so I've been single for almost three years. Mm-hmm crazy but it's like I need to be able to like get these needs from somewhere else right kind of a reason why I really wanted to read this book because I wanted to like explore new routes of like thinking about pleasure and and receiving pleasure from other people but also myself and the different forms of like how those interactions can happen both with yourself and with other people Mm -hmm. To answer your question, yes, I've thought about it. Have I implemented anything? No. No. Um, But what about you? Have you?
0: I have also thought about it and also have not implemented anything. So for me, I think maybe, I don't know it's necessarily a difference, but one of my big things that I have wanted, one of the reasons I wanted to read the book was I've been trying to allow more pleasure in my life in a more general way, not just like sexual. Like I would say like, Specific, I mean, like, not sexual, like, not that I feel like I totally have that where I want to go, or where I want it to be, which I'll talk about. But, you know, like with food, like, I've, like, gotten really into cooking this year and baking and, like, stuff like that, where I felt like I was, I, Coley, our, our friend listeners, Coley, would always joke, (laughs) would always joke about how one time she came over and I had a can of beans in the fridge like, open with foil over it, and I was just, like, eating it with a spoon, and that was, like, what I had had for dinner, and she was, like, oh, my God, like, you need help, like, we have to fix this, (laughs) and she was so into talking about how I want you to just have, like, different, I just want you to have pleasure in your life, but she didn't mean sexually at all, all, like, most of this year, that has been that the kind of stuff I've been working on And um, is like, like I've gotten into baking, I go for walks, I have been cleaning more often and having a clean space is pleasurable.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: But I was interested in developing some kind of pleasure routine that was sexual because I like know with the history of sexual assault, it's hard for me to come. We talked about this a little bit in person. (laughs) It like... I, the person I have to be so comfortable with the person and us to be having sex, like pretty consistently. Um, and then eventually I start coming and then it's not really a problem for the most part. And it's kind of like, once I'm coming, I'm always coming, but it takes, <laughs> it takes like, I, cause I have to be like emotionally, like my body will like not relax. And like, I won't really notice in the moment that my body is not relaxing but, cause I don't like feel like t- uptight, you know what I mean? Like I won't feel like that, but it's just like, there's a certain level of like, I can't just let go to have an orgasm. And that has been the last few years. Well, especially with my last partner, I was more communicative about that because I would always find that partners would be making it about, it would become this like ego thing. And then it would become harder for me to come because I was so worried about them having like hurt feelings or whatever. Mm -hmm. So now I've started, it's not something that I feel a need to talk about with every sexual partner, depending on like the situation, but partners who are gonna be more consistent, I like having some kind of conversation so that they know that it's like a me thing and that, you know, the more comfortable I become, the more everything be fine. The whole reason I said all that though, is that as far as a pleasure routine, Adrienne Marie Brown talks about, like, rubbing her clit, like, for 15 minutes every morning. <laughs> and, like, not always coming. And I don't think it's, like, I wouldn't, I don't know that I could have an orgasm every day, like, in the morning specifically.
1: Really? Yeah, are you not that way? I'm the opposite. Oh, tell me more. So, like, I'm, a, I'm like, a morning person. I'm not, like, a night sex kind of person like a morning sex kind of person
0: you want to have sex at
1: 6am yeah well it's just because like at the in in the night i'm like exhausted i'm like i just want to go to bed Mm. you know and then in the morning i'm like fresh my brain is fresh i have enough (laughs) serotonin right and then i'll get off and then after i orgasm i feel so great and like I'm ready to do the day oh I'm like boom my skin's great I you know I feel amazing just an extra bolt of energy and I'm just like boom I can do anything
0: that makes sense I don't it's not like I want to go to sleep right after but mine are just like so intense that it just like I don't know I feel like it takes me a minute to recalibrate
1: I think that's fair yeah.
0: <laughs> but I wanted to try to do what she does. Cause I feel like just the act of rubbing your clit and not necessarily trying to come, you're like, I feel like it, it, it felt kind of like a type of somatic therapy to continue. I don't know, getting you that body, the mind body connection, whatever.
1: Right. But then you disassociate like the shame of not coming. Right. So then you're just like, I'm just going to experience and feel what this feels like, Mm -hmm. even if I don't come,
2: right? right?
1: Then you like allow yourself to be in a space where like, it's okay if you don't, because I know sometimes I'll be like, ugh, (laughs) like I can't get off, right? Mm -hmm. But then it's like, if you think about it the way that she's saying, it's like, you're giving, you're still giving yourself pleasure in some form, like even if you haven't orgasmed and like, that's okay.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so I wanna make that a part of my routine and I just haven't, I don't really know what's stopping me other than my schedule has not been consistent for the last few weeks. And my current morning routine is go for a walk for 20 minutes and then yoga for a half hour, an hour. And I'm like, okay, then do I add a, add a 15 minutes to rub my clothes? And it's like, <laughs> it feels like just such a long, a lot of morning routine before I start working. <laughs>
1: i feel like you gotta do the pleasure first thing
0: oh before i'm even out of bed yeah just like wake up and do some rubbing that's
1: actually a great idea wake up pleasure morning pages walk yoga (laughs) (laughs) well and it's interesting you
0: said that too because i feel like part of my relationship with sex that i want to be able to kind of expand from is that I feel like I really compartmentalize sex. Not in a way I'm like, I don't know that I've like actually thought about this that much, but I'm like, okay, now we're having sex. Or it's like, if I'm masturbating, I'm like putting the music on. Like I like have things I do when I masturbate. And I'm like getting in the session, sex session now, you know, like, I don't like allow for spontaneity.
1: As with Virgo wood.
0: <laughs> I have to plan it out. We yeah. have music. right well it's funny because virgos are like one of the most sexual signs but yeah yeah, i do like and like if i think i'm going to be having sex with someone i have like a grooming routine i do before i meet them well because i have like bush pride you know we i think we've talked about this
1: yeah we both do
0: yes so i just i still shave like an element you know but Mm -hmm. um anyway so i'll have that like just all clean and prim you know and if I don't want to have sex or don't plan to have sex, I will like purposely not shave because something my mind will be like, just give off that there's no sex happening right now. Like, I feel like I'll just give off that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm mean with someone I'm consistently having sex with. Like if I'm like, you know, today's not the day, I won't shave and I'll just kind of put these roadblocks. So it's like not gonna happen. <laughs>
1: But you I- <laughs> it's so wild to me because I feel like one of the best things about sex is, is, is that it can be spontaneous.
0: Well, so I like allow for spontaneity within my, the structure. In,
1: <laughs> in my compartmentalization of my sexual life. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, because if I'm dating someone and we're hanging out, like I'm making sure I'm prim and ready every time like we hang out, whether it's gonna happen or not.
1: You know wow. that's dedication.
0: It is. And I think, well so you were saying you've been single for three years. I have been single for three years, but most of my relationships in the last few years have been like less than six months. I don't know that the Lou in like a relationship that's like a year two, three plus years would still be dedicating that.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: I mean, that's a lot of razor burn, you know, I eventually (laughs) would like to see, like to see if I could get the waxing, Mm. but like, I don't know that that's worth it to me.
3: Attention people, young and old, guess what? I have a special offer for you today. There is a place on Larchmere Boulevard. Maybe you've heard of it. This place is called Larchmere Fireworks. Okay, now I have your attention. Now you're wondering, what does this thing, this place offer? And I'll tell you what they offer. Glass blowing and blacksmithing. That's right. Glass blowing and blacksmithing right on Larchmere. You may have thought in your life, hey, I want to make a sword. I don't know if they, you could make a sword there. I want to make something out of glass. You can definitely do that. Come on down. If you mention the podcast, you get 10% off, which is a beautiful discount. And not only that, but you may be, you may be, I want to go there. I want to do this, but I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. Tina and Cassie are two of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. They run the store. They're so welcoming and kind. You're going to feel right at home and you're going to walk away making something new. Spice up your day. Do something different, okay? Do a little glass blowing. You might surprise yourself. Mention the podcast, 10% off. That's Larchmere Fireworks on Larchmere Boulevard.
0: I'm not a drinker myself. I seriously, I don't drink at all. However, there's a super cool bar on the west side of Cleveland called Jukebox. It's called Jukebox because you guessed it, there's a jukebox there. It has something like 100 records to play. And yes, I don't drink, but they have an awesome food menu, including vegan and gluten-free options. I'm currently on the gluten-free kick because I always want people to have a hard time feeding me. They have one of the largest outdoor patios in Cleveland, which is super cool, especially now with social distancing. So if you're looking for an inclusive bar, they have rainbow flags on the windows. You'll feel right at home at Jukebox on the West side of Cleveland. Again, that's Jukebox Cleveland on the West side. My other thought is that I wondered, so you kind of already talked about this, but do you want to expand any more on like, what is your relationship to pleasure?
1: Mm, it's a great question. Also, like you said, I have a complicated relationship with it because of, like, sexual assault and things that have happened. Um, but also because of, like, mad Catholic guilt things of, like, growing up and seeing, like, being, feeling or experiencing pleasure as shameful. But I really liked how Adrian Marie Brown included the uses of the erotic by Audre Lorde in the book because I never thought of like erotic or eros, the Greek word, as pleasure overall, right? So when we think of the erotic and eroticism, we think of sex, right? But there's so many other pleasurable things, which was
2: something
1: that I never considered before reading this book. And so what's cool is that I now realize that I'm not denying myself pleasure fully if I don't have sexual pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, eating is definitely something that brings me pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's another thing that also, like, can have complex, You can, people can have a complex relationship with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's almost as if, like, all of these things that bring us pleasure, like, we need to keep track of so that we, like, don't feel too much pleasure, you know, (laughs) like, and that was something else growing up that was, like, a big deal, and it was, like, you can only, like, eat these things when it's a special occasion or Mm -hmm. something, you know, like, we're not gonna buy pop unless we're having a party, you know, and then Mm -hmm. now as an adult, I, like, go to the grocery store, and I'm, like, Well, we can't buy ice cream because it's not a special occasion, you know? And then I, like, realized, like, I can do whatever the heck I want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I had this realization when I bought a case of Arizona iced tea. Mm -hmm. And I was just, like, living with just drinking this tea. And I was like, I can do whatever I want. (laughs) Like... Yeah, That's- so pleasure is buying mm-hmm. a
0: case of Arizona iced
1: tea. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, like, to think that something so little could give me right. so much joy. But when you have kind of been told that, like, you have to have, a like, be special enough to receive pleasure or to receive joy, then, like, that seems off the table. But right. then you actually, like you know, have agency and autonomy and are able to be like, actually, no, like I can do whatever I want. And I know that I deserve this. And I, I want to feel pleasure and joy from like sipping a can of tea when I like reached in the fridge and take it out. Right. So it's like reading this book has been able to like open up all these other like pathways for me to conceptualize the ways that I've like inhibited myself from accepting pleasure or receiving pleasure even in the smallest ways,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool, yeah, i and I also think, um you had said the word deserve, and I'm sure you've thought about that idea and deserving. I always think deserving is so interesting because it's like on a base level, don't we just all deserve the same things? you know what I mean, so like <laughs> in a way does deserve even need to be in our vocabulary in that way to be like, I deserve this or I don't deserve this or you deserve this or you don't deserve this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Like unless like I can see like whether or not someone deserves quote unquote a raise or something where it's like, there's some kind of merit or something involved, but in far, as far as just like how much money you make or how much, you know, food you have in the house or all these things like, we all just deserve whatever we, what (laughs) you know what I mean? Not that you were making any implications. I know you weren't, but I just think it's an interesting topic. That's why I brought that.
1: No, I totally agree. I mean, because that's part of the unlearning. Right, right. It's like unlearning that like you have to do something in order to deserve pleasure or joy. Right. Like you have to earn, like you have to earn it. Right. For something or you have to inhibit yourself until you deserve it again right or like yes
0: yes i wonder if that also has to do with how like addiction is in our society where it's like americans have a hard time with moderation um and i wonder if that's how some of where some of that thinking comes from in people's parenting because i'm curious if it's um like that in other countries just you know if we have any listeners in like london just like shoot us an email let us know i have
1: no idea
0: but because i feel like that's gotta be part of where it comes from like i think about like my mom is like you know loves her diet cokes and like she loves a lot of these sugary things that Mm -hmm. you know and like she's had like a lifelong you know thing with dieting as like a lot of women do and this like and a lot of the ways people talk about it i feel like is this moderation thing where there's some kind of fear that we don't have the self-control to Mm. stop us from like drinking 40 cans of arizona iced tea in one day (laughs) so instead we can only get it in moderation or else we're just gonna be drinking it every second
1: (laughs) yeah that's something to think about too Mm -hmm. I mean that also like you know begs the question of like are we over consuming everything like right like consumption under capitalism and like because we can get more for less money will we just get less will we just get more because because it's less (laughs) less you know like why not get more you can get more right when I think
0: that and just how much how how big consumerism is in our country and then because of that how marketing and advertising is everywhere at all times yeah yeah, we're trained to like buy 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 but yeah i used to be similar in grocery stores with things like a chocolate bar and i don't know i haven't really thought about where that stems from other than like more money issues but there's like research, I don't know the what, how to pull it up, but a friend filled me in and that was enough for me, <laughs> that there's research that like if you buy like a $5 candy bar or whatever, I'm seeing $5 because I shop at Whole Foods, I'm like, you know, $5 candy bars. <laughs> but if you buy a $5 candy bar, you'll get the same hit of like dopamine, that then you, as you would if you bought like a $500 coat. So it's like the brain isn't, the brain doesn't see the currency element. They just see the gifting yourself.
1: Right, right. So
0: right. I always tell people that where it's like, it's a good practice to do when you go grocery shopping to get yourself a treat of like three, five, $10, whatever you're working with financially, because that's gonna like give you that hit, you know? It's like tricking your brain. I mean, it's not a trick because it's real, but like, (laughs) if you have a lot of things you want and you could just need to like feed your brain that a little bit or something. Yeah. You know, one of the things I thought about with the book was how so many of the pleasure, my pleasure things are also self-care things. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering about what is the distinction between something that brings you pleasure and something that's self-care or are they sometimes together?
1: Ooh, Yeah, that's a big one. All of these things are like so interconnected, Mm -hmm. especially when you consider like self-care as something that is, I don't want to say it's like preventative, but it's kind of preventative. So it's like self-care as a preventative measure so that when things start falling apart, you know, the self-care is so that when things don't fall apart basically. Right. So, like you don't like end up like crashing completely. Right. Like rock bottom.
0: Yes. Like for me before this podcast, since I was only like had a half hour, it was, well, 40 minutes. It was taking a shower, eating, putting a blanket on. To me, that was self care to like right. have that reset moment before you and I started this, instead of just like, like running around my house, doing who knows what, and then sitting down and being like
2: a buzzy mess.
1: Yeah. I feel like self-care is, like, is, like, getting really good at knowing what you need in the moments as you're experiencing them and then kind of just being able to be, like, okay, here I am. We're doing this. What do I need right now? Yeah. Whereas, I mean, pleasure could be more spontaneous or it could be more planned. I feel like they do...
0: You're saying that for me it could be more planned. <laughs> I am
1: because <laughs> I mean you can plan pleasure as a form of self-care. Right. Well, like
0: a vacation you plan. A vacation is right. you know,
1: but is that self-care?
0: Think of a vacation as pleasure. Oh. Yeah. Oh, but you're saying is it self care instead?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's it's interesting. Like, well, so that you know? makes
0: me feel like it's like, yeah, it's both. Whereas like, I think about like my walks every day, even though they're pleasurable, sure, I think of them as self-care because like, if I don't do that, I feel a little more like, you know, rattled or whatever. Yeah. And so I see that as more of this distinction of like, that's not that it has to be this, like it's either self-care or it's pleasure, but because so many of these different things can be both, I was curious, you know. I'm sure it depends. It's all individual, but, like, what is that distinction? I I don't don't
1: think that they're mutually exclusive. Right. Like, but I think that's also because I've been thinking about self-care for a lot longer than I've been thinking about pleasure. Right. And so I know what my self-care looks like. Yeah. But I still don't quite know what, like, my pleasure is. Right.
0: Right. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive either, I just think about with going on a walk and yoga and like the milkshakes I was making like for a million, like I made all these milkshakes in one week as soon as I like like this recipe. Those things feel more like self-care to me because they're more a part of my routine and supporting me through my day. I feel like that's a part of it. Like the things that are supporting me To do the different, you know, to work, to be a good partner, to be a good friend, those all feel like self care. And then the thing, the like kind of extra stuff, like if I just like randomly go for a hike one day, Mm. and like go for like an hour and a half, like I did that like a couple weeks in a row because my like ex-ish whatever (laughs) kept inviting me to go (laughs) hikes, and that to me was like pleasure because it was like something spontaneous. Like I feel like. For me personally, I feel like a lot of pleasure is in spontaneity, which is why I'm trying to make that connection with like sex Mm -hmm. as well. Because like for me, like this making this like chocolate chip banana bread that I made yesterday, it was so. Well, I actually made it this morning. I got the ingredients yesterday, but it was like I decided that day. I was like, "Ooh, this looks fun." I haven't tried to make a banana this kind of bread in two years. Let's do it. And that to me feels like pleasure because it's like a random fun thing.
1: Yeah. I think pleasure could be like self-care (laughs) 2.0. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. I also like how throughout the book, she interchanges like pleasure and joy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And That is something that I, I had never really, you know, put those two words together. Mm -hmm. But they really are very similar. Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, like experiencing joy is so pleasurable. Right. And a lot of times, like there's like a newness to pleasure. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like self-care more like in the nitty gritty routine kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I feel like pleasure like has a vibrancy and like newness to it. Like, mm-hmm. me learning how to skateboard has been really pleasurable for me. Yeah. Because I, like, I'm not getting anything out of it other than just, like, the joy of learning something new and mm-hmm. being able to be like, oh, wow, my, my body is getting better at doing this thing mm-hmm. because I'm putting this time into it and I'm seeing myself. Do new things and improve, and that's pleasurable and joyful to me. Mm, That's interesting. I would actually say that I feel that way
0: about reading, even though reading isn't a new thing, but I feel like reading is like one of the greatest joys in my life. Not to be dramatic, (laughs) 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 but I mean that like I feel like I'll go through these like times where I'm like really playing with different ideas intellectually. And like where I'm trying to like understand something where I'm like, why is, you know, I I can't, I'm trying to think of like, if I think of an example, I'll give one, but then all of the stuff I read becomes like related to that or like kind of helps me figure that out. But I feel like reading is one of the most like, even though I have friends that I talk with about the stuff I'm reading, it's like one of the most like, solitary things I do, which, like, obviously, when you're reading, you're reading alone, whatever, but it just feels, like, so much, like, this, like, I don't know, like, this, like, falling in love with myself, like, reading.
1: (laughs) That's so nice. Yeah. Also, in a newness to that, because the things that you read and are learning about and are, like, taking in are all new.
0: Yes. Yeah, and it,
1: like, is, it's, like, an infinite, it's not endable. Yeah. Keep doing it. That's so cool. Yeah.
3: One day I'm talking to Lou, they go, where can I get, where is a place where I can get jewelry, fossils, one of a kind, Artisanal pieces from local artists, taxidermy. I'm like, Lou, I don't know. I don't know. What to-. Then they go, I'll tell you where you can get it. Down on Large River Boulevard at Fiddlehead Gallery. This place is a staple in the community. They offer one of a kind items. And if you mention the podcast, you get 10% off. I'll tell you what else, Sister Love. The owner, Susan, who's a wonderful human being, will make you feel right at home. And honestly, she looks exactly like Jamie Lee Curtis that so you can't miss her. So come on down the old Larchmill Boulevard and check it out. You may be listening to this podcast and thinking, I like this. And I hope you are. Because frankly, this is just one of the many outlets and channels that Lou Barrett is expressing their art and creativity and writing. Uh, you may be familiar, if you're familiar with Lou Barrett, with Purple Palm Press. Okay, what is Purple Palm Press though if you really think about it? Well, I'll tell you. It is a publishing company featuring stories from queer artists with a focus on dating and relationships. Always a very enticing topic, personally. And Purple Palm Press is not only just a beautiful alliteration, but a community that is building to give queer people and queer artists an outlet. And it's a really important, beautiful thing. I personally, love it a lot so you might be saying okay oh that sounds good that sounds great what can i do there's always something you can do silly and the thing you can do is contribute to lou barrett's patreon account now here's what's going to happen we're going to do a 50 50 split 50 percent goes to purple palm press 50 percent goes to lou barrett everybody's happy at the end of the day So if you are inspired by this content and you want to see more of it and we got to get out there, we got to be queer and support each other. We all know this is very important. Check out patreon.com backslash Lou Barrett and show some love.
0: which I think is kind of related to what we were talking about. So she's like, well, she's not a somatic therapist, right? But she's a healer that you, she uses somatics. Is that right? You know, Adrian Brown, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was laughing at myself for asking you as if you're like the.
1: I've read two books by this woman. So I'm the. Well, she's, she's a doula. Um, I know that, but I don't, I'm not sure about. But she
0: uses somatics. I think if I'm, Remembering correctly, she uses somatics kind of throughout all of her different work, so it's not necessarily like she does this one thing that's somatic based, but it's goes into a lot of what she does
2: mm-hmm.
0: and i thought so I thought that was interesting um, well, because she also talks about being um, someone who experienced assault and how that played into her like pleasure story. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, and I also think like working with somatic style, like therapies in general helps you um, have a better sense of what feels pleasurable. And at least that's how it's been for me and helps you have a better sense of self-care or what your self-care is. I've like been thinking about this lately. Like I was, I had been feeling kind of conflicted because I feel like all of the therapy I've had since starting trauma therapy like in the last two, like two, two to two and a half years, I feel like my life has changed drastically, like for the better. And mm-hmm. I was in talk therapy since I was like 15, which I think there's a ton of benefits to talk therapy still. But I started, but it's interesting because like, I think somatic therapy is coming, becoming more popular, but it's, I don't know that it's people's gateway in the therapy, like into like mental health stuff. Like I feel like someone just starting out, the first thing they're thinking of is like talk therapy, which again Mm -hmm. is helpful, but I there's this part of me that's starting to feel like these therapies that incorporate both mind and body are like way more helpful than talk therapy alone. And then I'm like, well, I only knew about this because I mean, because this thing happened to me and then I ended up going to the Cleveland Wright Crisis Center And it was like a friend who sent me there, but it was like through all these weird things, you know, like there wasn't like this direct kind of like guide to it. So I just have been thinking about that and kind of like what are, and kind of like what are the ways, the way we need to talk about mental health, how do they need to change in order for that to become more of like the norm? Because I think that is how, how people not only, like, intellectualize what they've dealt with and whatever their suffering is, but also learn how to move past it and build the skills to keep going instead of always relying on the therapist. Like, so much of what I've learned in trauma therapy was things for myself to incorporate. Yeah. That was, like, a long tangent. But I thought that was interesting because I'm sure her work being so grounded in that, grounded, is a lot of what (laughs) goes went into her being having the mind like having the frame of mind she has on this stuff yeah you know and having the autonomy she feels as well like because i think you really learn autonomy through somatic health. like you just learn how to like you just learn what your voice even is i mean at least that's how it was for me like learning what my needs even are yeah To then even be able to say them
1: I've never done somatic therapy, but I've read a lot about, like, trauma-informed care, Mm -hmm. and and I read, like, The Body Keeps a Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah. He talks a lot in that about somatic therapies and how it's really important because if someone is, like, deeply traumatized and it remains in their body, right, Body Keeps the Score, like... You can talk it out all you want, you know, (laughs) but it's still in your body, like, it's it's not going to do any, it's not going to do anything. Like you can recognize it. You gotta, you've got to move and get it out, which Mm -hmm. is like a wild concept. I like have been doing like movement, um, classes with my friend Marsha. Um, and so like we trade, so like I give her a guitar Mm -hmm. lesson and she gives me a movement class. Mm -hmm. And that's actually been like really, really pleasurable for me to just try and get back into my body in that way. Like as someone who has experienced PTSD mm-hmm. and trying to like regain, you know, autonomy over my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had told me that like the fascia, like the skin and the stuff that like surrounds your muscles. Mm-hmm is what holds the trauma Mm -hmm. and remembers. Mm -hmm. And if you massage that, you mess around with that, you move that, that will like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: loosen and then the muscles will loosen, right? So it's kind of like, like your skin is this huge organ, right? Right. And so like being touched helps like retrain it.
0: Yeah, right. That's part of the benefit of massages for PTSD. Yeah, something I just started this summer because so much of my attention gets held in my back. And then it's like also like massage, especially for people who have experienced some form of physical or sexual assault. It's like helping you get you more and more comfortable with touch that's like consensual and platonic. But I would say like all of the CRCC I would say all of them are doing a form of somatic therapy. One.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, because I did EMDR.
0: Yeah. Which I love was EMDR.
1: Wild, wild to me. But it really did change a lot of stuff for me. Yeah. But in a way that is now allowing me to not feel a ton of shame when I experience pleasure by myself. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, even if there isn't another person there, there are a lot of... T- times where like I'll be trying to you know get off right and I can't (laughs) because there's just so much shit behind it
0: yeah um that's all interesting I think it's becoming really more and more understood that like everyone has like some level of quote-unquote trauma even if it's like so different you know and like I it, it obviously not everything's the same But just trauma in the sense that these, any, any kind of like difficult experience can be stored in the body Mm -hmm. that way. Maybe not any. I'm like watching the words I use. It's obviously some people experience abuse, some don't. That's true. Some people get raped, some don't. True. (laughs) I'm not denying any of that. But I'm saying even people, even people who haven't experienced really, really terrible things still can hold, hold things. Or like person
1: to person like person to if they have not experienced person to person violence or like right
0: like, even if they're just dealing with like their own emotional stuff like it can still just be stored and i feel like that's more and more being understood by the mental health community like at large and right. i feel like and i feel like people have so much access I don't want to say like everybody, but like people, liberals, you know, or, and like people in these different circles, that's like, really, it's like popular and understood to talk about these things. So Mm -hmm. I feel like the more that happens, the more it'll become kind of the norm in how treating patients works, you know, regardless of if you're in quote unquote, somatic therapy specifically, like everyone will become trained. I mean, maybe that's optimistic. That's how I feel.
1: Well, and I, I was also reading this book about nonviolent communication and how in oh, order. Oh, it Ruthenberg one? No. Is it's,
0: it called nonviolent communication?
1: It's called decolonizing nonviolent communication. Oh. And it's by an author called Minadici, and it's through the Women's Center for Creative Work. Uh uh-huh. They're located in the Bay Area. Um, Love it. We're talking about like how we hold all of these like our emotions in our bodies and then when we try to communicate they just are like you know rearing their ugly heads Mm -hmm. but she they also say that like systematic oppression is traumatic Mm -hmm. so like everyone who's who exists under capitalism like has experienced trauma Mm -hmm. in the workforce just like by this oppressive force but right. also, like, racism and misogyny and ableism, like, are all extremely traumatic experiences. And, and we all live under, like, this, you know, hetero patriarchy capitalist, right. you know, system. Yeah.
0: And anyone who's, like, ever gotten fired before, and it was a surprise. Like, right. have to be traumatic. Now all of a sudden you're not making money. And yeah, in, in the, this country, we have to be making money in order to survive. Right. Yeah, it's endless. We could talk about we could just name things that could be considered a trauma for probably like an hour if we wanted. But,
1: exactly. But
0: it's called nonviolent communication. I read um the first half last summer and then I didn't finish it because I was like going through a breakup and it just felt too fresh, you know, to like read about non-violent communication. But I really liked it. But I'm interested in what you're reading because it sounds like like I'm in, I would be interested to finish this and then like read what you're reading and see since it's called deconstructing nonviolent communication, right? Yeah,
1: it's actually called or de-colonizing.
0: decolonizing. So I'm curious what the differences are in that versus in this, like what they're saying to like undo or take away from this.
1: Yeah, this is also like a work a workbook. You know, it's really trying to like. Get to your internal shit and be able to be like, why do I feel like this? How do I respond to other people? You know, like, how do we treat our gut well? Like, it's like- Oh, I love
0: that. (laughs) Very passionate. I'm really into gut health stuff. I'm doing coffee enemas. I had said how I'd find a way to talk about coffee enemas on this podcast. All I will say is coffee enemas will change your life. I do one every three weeks.
1: I feel like so
0: often
2: though.
0: From my research, <laughs> once every like month is common. Like every three weeks to a month, like people who are like on the coffee enema train. And some mm-hmm. people, when I first started, I was doing them once a, once a week because some there's some belief of like, I'm sure, you know, plenty of people might not feel this way but a lot of what i was reading was to get a lot of those benefits when you first start to kind of like heavy load and then go <laughs> go down to like once a month but you it's it's a form of detox and you're pulling stuff out of uh you know parts of your body see i'm not i'm not a doctor or a biohacker or whatever but you're releasing these toxins. And some people think of that as tra- trauma, like that trauma and stuff is stored to these different mm. physical parts of us. And you're like releasing that. It's great for your skin. Um, a lot of digestive issues can be, in my case, like I was like having digestive issues and was almost like, I think I need to seek some kind of doctor because I it was mm. like consistent and I would like, change things in my diet. It was still an issue, whatever, whatever. I started coffee, coffee enemas. My problems are gone. Uh, you know, I'm not going to recommend coffee enemas to anybody cause I'm not a doctor. It's also something I will say from my understanding, if you have a history of any kind of eating disorder or body issue, just be aware of yourself. Cause it, it's not it. Cause some people could abuse it if it's the kind of, you know, um, So just, you know, know yourself. And if it's something that you think will be unhealthy for you, don't do it. But, oh, you said gut health. (laughs) Oh, I, so where, I, how much was that book? I want to get it.
1: Um, I think it was like 20 bucks, but it was sold. It's sold out. I'll lend it to you.
0: Okay. I was excited to get my own copy for the workbook, but yeah, I want to read it.
1: Just don't write in mine. Yeah, I won't. (laughs)
0: I'll have to look them up.
1: I'll send you the link. Okay,
3: cool. You're listening to the podcast. You love what you see, you want more. Well, you can. Lou Barrett owns a publishing company called Purple Palm Press. Purple Palm Press is not just alliteration, okay? This is an outlet for queer people and queer artists to express themselves, and to share stories specifically focused on dating and relationships. Always a spicy and interesting time. So you may be listening to this and say, I like what I'm hearing and I want to do more. I want to be part of this. I want it. That's what I say when I listen. And you can, because you can go to Lou Barrett's Patreon, also known as patreon.com backslash Lou Barrett. And there you can donate a little ch- chunk of change you know if you're there why not and guess what 50% goes to Lou 50% goes to Purple Palm Press and 100% of us are happy because we got more ability to make content and we're supporting each other and everything's great so check it out patreon.com backslash Lou Barrett
0: there were two more things that I was interested in talking about are you a hard hard out for 730
1: or um not really but I was gonna try and go skate tonight can we say like 20 more
0: minutes yeah okay so another thing I really liked that she talked about in the book was generative boundaries Mm. or is that what they were called so this was, you were right about this, that I would like this part. One of my favorite parts of the book was the conversation with her and her two friends.
1: Oh, yeah, right at the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was really into that. Um, so let me, I'm trying to find the chapter so I can see what it's called. Oh, the pleasure of deep intentional friendship. Oh. Which I really like this because I feel like this is like um, the opposite of what Jen Sincero talks about in You're a Badass. (laughs) This is always my criticism of that book. I got a lot out of it. I don't like the idea of like, if all your friends use the phrase, I'm broke, you got to drop them because you can't be around people who talk about money in this limiting way. You
1: only need that too
0: yeah you only can be friends with people who talk about money in this specific way and like are better in a better place than you are financially and professionally so that it's motivating but it makes it feel like all that all friendships are purely transactional or like are superficial and i know this is true for you too like most of my friendships are really like familial yeah so it's like, I'm look. there's a lot I'm thinking about when I'm making friends, and it's like not just about like their, you know, income. Yeah. Um, so I, I, what I really liked right. about that, because I feel like this like shows that kind of idea. What?
1: I was just saying like, I mean, that's really messed up to only be friends with someone because of their like socioeconomic status or something.
0: Right, right. <laughs> Well, and I feel like that's part of, like, what you get into when you're reading a lot of personal development books, like You're a Badass, because that's so much of the train they're on, but they're, everything is coming back to how do you make more money and how do you succeed professionally, and I feel like it's, like, on this thinking where it's, like, a ladder that never ends. Yeah. Me, like, reading, like, all about, I read all about love, like, a month after, by Bell Hooks, like, a month after I read... Um, you're a badass and it was like a good palate cleanser because yeah. it got, like really got a lot out of you're a badass but like I still want to be like grounded in this like emotional like well being <laughs> I don't know it just feels like so it's so like work horsey but it's so like is um you know driven by like capitalist ideals and stuff yeah yeah
1: whereas this is like community care forever yeah right and that's what i loved about it because mm-hmm. it's like pleasure as freaking platonic intimacy you know yeah. that's my shit platonic intimacy. Shit. you love
0: platonic intimacy
1: i think platonic intimacy subverts monogamy
0: yeah it's just interesting to me my so i've always felt like i've had platonic intimacy since like high school mm-hmm. like that's been a part of my life so i think you're i think i don't disagree but then it's like have i just always been non-monogamous
1: then i, I just think like like... Saying. <laughs> like i think a lot of like monogamy culture mm-hmm. puts a lot on One person being your everything. Yes. And I think that that's fucked up. Yes. So I think I'm allowed to be romantic with my friends. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to do that. Like, that's... Right. That's so, so pleasurable and, and brings me so much joy. Like, being romantic with my friends. Right. But does that like, invalidate my relationship with them because I'm not having sex with them? Oh, right. You know, it's like... Oh, no,
0: I think people's question would be not does it invalidate your friendship with them, but does it invalidate your romantic relationship? Which I don't think it does, but I'm saying... I feel like no, it I don't
1: think perfect. it does.
0: Yeah. I think it probably makes it better. Yeah. I mean, does i think this is something esther perel has talked a lot about are you an esther Perel? yeah okay <laughs> i love esther perel but her she podcast. talks a lot about like what
1: her podcast
0: yeah i love her podcast she talks a lot about um wait have you started listening to the work one that started no, like I haven't.
2: it's great it's great Okay. But, cool.
0: I forget when it came out. I think it came out like around when the shutdown happened. Like I think I kind of fell off because I got distracted by the pandemic. Which remember, listeners, we know about the pandemic. <laughs> like so weird joke that I, <laughs> I don't
1: want everyone to know. There's a pandemic. <laughs>
0: okay. Um. Oh, she talks about the way like the modern love. Modern love, the modern ideal relationship is this person that like does everything and is your everything. And she believes it's why so many people are either unhappy in relationships or relationships fail because people are obsessed with this idea that the person has to be every single thing. And when they're not, they go, oh, well, I get, we're, we got to break up, you know? Mm-hmm. And she talks about how like people's friendships Right, so many people have more superficial friendships and she's like, you know, people will be able to get like a million likes on a post, but like they have no one to watch their cat if they go out of town. <laughs> Which like, I think that so many communities, this isn't necessarily like a problem. Um, like, I don't know if it's, I always wanna say, I don't know if it's something that affects straight people more, but I think about with how you were talking about being romantic with friends, I remember reading a straight woman's post Years ago, about how she was accused of being like um, a tease or something if she was gonna make food for like a guy friend but didn't want to date him. <laughs> was,
1: like, so <laughs> she was Rates like, are not okay.
0: <laughs> she was like, "I just like making food for my friends. Like that shouldn't be looked at as me leading people on i hate that i know um i just want to find the generative boundaries thing let me can you look too i'm trying to remember how to describe it because i wanted us to like describe what it was and then i thought it was in the section with her friends oh i think it might be in the chapter right before and in, in the non-monogamy one
1: Set generative boundaries, create mutual abundance. I envision generative boundaries as organic fences made of stacked rocks or thick bushes that become home to millions of small creature families. Porous breathing boundaries that are clear that mark the space between partners in ways that make them both feel abundant. If you're in a relationship where you can't honestly and easily set boundaries, then there's reason for concern about the health and longevity of your connection. Whatever yes exists between you is not trustworthy. Learn how to feel your own edges, limits, and needs. Places where you need to be selfish and places where you need to preserve yourself.
0: Yeah, I want to read the next two bullet points because I also want to turn reading. (laughs) And they're... So the sub-bullet points say, boundaries arise from needs. One major need in any relationship is a recognition of what belongs where. Here are two of my favorite boundary setting statements. The first one. It sounds like you might need some professional support. I love slash like our connection slash fuckship slash friendship slash courtship slash romance and don't want to slip into an inappropriate role of healer or coach here. How can I help you connect to support? And then the other uh, quoted example, there is my work, your work, and our work. I am down for us to do our work and I will hold down my work, but I cannot take on your work. I deeply support you figuring out what you need to do around that. I like love that because I feel like this is a thing a lot of people talk about with relationships, but for some reason, I just found the way she talked about it. So like, um, I don't know, like kind and compassionate and not like, instead of talking about it in this negative way of doing, doing too much quote unquote emotional labor for another person. It's more just, like, acknowledging that, hey, this will be inappropriate if I'm doing all of this, this, like, certain level of emotional work for you. Mm. Um, And it'll take away from our relationship. So, Mm. like, what can you do to take care of that? And I really like that. It's, like, with the same goal in mind and, like, the same potential issue, but it's treating it with, like, more love and support.
1: Yeah. I was really into that. I like the word she uses, porous. Mm. Things can seep through, right? But it's not like, it's completely open, right? It's not like nothing's there at all. Right. But it's not like nothing can get through. And I like like that, not only the imagery, but like, just like the way that that would would work. Mm -hmm. And conceptualizing that in reality as a, you know, actual boundary like a material for the boundary. I don't know. I mm. like cool. Yeah, I like that too. Cause I think there can be times in a relationship
0: where like a partner has a bad day at work and then they like want to talk it out in the moment. And maybe it's not in this way. They're super dysregulated. They just kind of want to talk it out or get their like partner's insight. And I think that can be totally appropriate and fine. I think that's different than like Now the partner becomes the sole like emotional support system for everything related to work and like work is really toxic and the partner is taking on all this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's like black and white. Like, I think part of relationships is supporting each other, but it's like what support is appropriate and then what is beyond what a partner needs to take on for the relationship to still be positive. Exactly. So I was really into that. I was just really into the way she talked about it.
1: It's like ideal scenario. And again, like I, since I like have not dated someone for like almost three years, I'm like, I'm ready. You know, i have (laughs) like, I feel like I've just grown so much and learned so much as a result of like things I've read, things I've experienced as also as growing into my profession as a music therapist, the things I've learned from that. As well. And I'm just like, I'm ready to communicate with people and set boundaries and not be walked all over again and not be taken advantage of. Yeah. And to love someone and, you know, not be the way that I have been in relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it'll be like really interesting for me personally to be able to be like, how am I going to implement all of these? Things into my life now.
0: Yeah, I think that's to bring it back to my joy to reading. Of reading, I think that's another element of it that I like impl- implementing the different things I learn and the different ideas into aspects of my life. But I mm. can totally see that. If, especially like when we first met, you were reading all about love. You were the one who got me to read it. I think isn't that true? Yes, I, I forgot. I I read so. <laughs> I definitely
1: um, was reading it when we met. What? I definitely was reading it when we met. Because I know my
0: friend Josh read it the same year and I couldn't remember which one of you tipped me off to it, but it doesn't matter. Um, but I can see like reading stuff like that and like I know reading like Teek Not Hans books, I don't know if I said his name correctly. but like all of that stuff can make you wanna be in a relationship <laughs> or like wanna date somebody because you're like, ooh, I wanna like try this stuff out. Ooh, you know? Like I want to see what it's like in real life. yeah, That's kind of how you feel.
1: Yeah, it is how I feel. But I also feel like better capable of like voicing my needs, yeah, and setting boundaries instead of instead of just letting my partners like say stuff and then internalizing it or like, yeah, you know, like, or just or like lashing out, you know, like. Right different ways that I have, like, definitely inappropriately acted in relationships mm-hmm. that was not helpful to either of us. Right, right.
0: That's and a lot of what...
1: Oh, go ahead. I just was going to say, was doing, like, a disservice to myself. Right. You know, That's, like... Sorry. Like, treating myself poorly as a result of not being able to communicate my needs or set boundaries, Mm -hmm. which now I feel like I'm able to do. And how much different would a relationship have been if I were able to do those things? Right, right, right. Well, I think it was, you had to have the relationships you had in order
0: to learn the importance of this stuff to then apply it to your future relationships.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) But nonviolent communication talks about the idea that A lot of our problem is that we don't know how to state our needs in a way that isn't accusatory of the other person. Mm. So we have to learn how to say, like, I, you know, I miss you and I want to spend more time with you. So is it possible that you worked a little less so that we could spend some more time together because I really miss you? Mm. Instead of saying, you work too much and all you do is work and it takes so much of your time. And that's a lot of what the book is about. And it's like about how some people say the one woman kept saying "You work too much," and then her husband stopped working so much, and then he started playing playing golf instead, and then she was still mad, but she was like because what she actually wanted was him to spend more time with the family, and instead of saying that she just said, "You work too much so um this was this was a great episode great first episode. How was it for you?
1: It was great. I had a great time, so
0: the way I'd like to end these what was like one of your main takeaways from reading pleasure activism that you can see continuing to affect your life in an important way. I like asking this question because like I've said, and like it's obvious because I have a podcast about books, I love books, and I think one of the things that books do for us is affect the way we see the world, they affect the way we see other people, they help us you know, build empathy. So I like the idea of asking, yes, you know, what was the takeaway from this book that you're not going to let go just because you stopped reading the book, like it's going to stay with you. And I loved what she said about embodying. I'm surprised we didn't talk about that. She talks about the idea that um, there's a certain, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to listeners. (laughs) There's a certain number of times, like a certain number of times or years you have to do something in order for it to become an embody embodied experience.
1: Oh, I can't find the part, but it's a part where she says that in order to achieve, like, collective liberation, we have to allow ourselves to receive pleasure and joy.
0: Oh, wasn't that in, like, one of the conversations?
1: I can't remember where it was, but it was definitely brought up a lot of times because she talked a lot about collective um, liberation and community care and how love is political resistance and if we're going to get anywhere we have to come with compassion and love and be able to feel joy in our liberation Mm -hmm. but I think
0: you phrased it well
1: okay cool I would say
0: a takeaway for me um (laughs) one of them is the embodying thing that I just can't Uh, remember the specifics of (laughs) I would say the generative boundaries I think for me the way that we talk about emotional labor like on social media and in some political spaces has often been like off-putting to me and so for me I really liked generative boundaries because I think for me it was off-putting because I was always like well I like to support my partner and I don't like thinking of supporting a partner as like a negative Mm -hmm. um and I saw the sometimes I felt like the ways that would be talked about, it was so black and white. Like you're never supposed to support an, a partner in any way because it's always going to be emotional labor, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I liked the way she talked about this. Again, it's the same thing. Maybe it's not necessarily the same. I'm seeing as the same thing, but it's a different, different way to talk about it. And so I just was like, I liked it because then I felt like I understood the conversations around emotional labor more than I before. So I was really into that.
1: Yay. So you can follow me everywhere at Tunes at F-I-G-N-E-W-T-U-N-E-S. Perfect. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. I <laughs> oh my God, I'm on everything. You can even follow me on Pinterest if you want. It's under the same damn thing.
0: That's great branding to have everything the same name. Thank you. Yep.
1: All right. Well, thanks, Elizabeth, for a
0: great um, first recording. Thank you, Lou. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Queer Discourse with Lou Barrett. It's me, Lou Barrett. I want to thank our guest for today's show again, Elizabeth Harris. You can find her on Instagram at Fig I knew I would find a way to talk about coffee enemas, and I did not disappoint. Uh, But seriously, it was really good to have Elizabeth, a friend of mine for years on the show, talking about this stuff. I also want to thank Adrienne Marie Brown for writing Pleasure Activism. Without her, we wouldn't have had a show today. I also want to thank my sound editor for this episode, Mae Brando. I want to thank Coley Pizzoli for adding a little something extra to the ads. I want to thank Samantha Grace for creating the theme song for this podcast. It is incredible. I also want to thank sponsors Barbara Mini and Max Bax on Coventry. And lastly, and most importantly, I want to thank you. Without you listening to this podcast, it would just be me sitting in my dining room at my table talking to no one. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Lou Barrett. Your support means the world to me. Thank you so much and I'll see you next time.
2: Let's talk it out now, let's talk it out now.